Cam, I've got some tweets that I need to delete. Okay. And we need to we need to delete the part of the last last episode where we said Trump wasn't going to get arrested. Did we say that? Yeah, we both did. Really? Yeah. Oh. What? I mean, I definitely said that he wasn't going to end up behind bars, which yeah, he, yeah, he won't. True, yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure I said he will get arrested. He's just going to get like booked, fingerprinted, Maybe. and then sent home. Yeah. You know, I, and that I don't know. I don't know. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, well, it hasn't happened yet. But it, but it's actually exactly He's, what's uh, going to yeah, happen. The grand jury voted to indict him. Yeah, uh, I think he said that on Tuesday he'll surrender himself. Yeah, so he's gonna theoretically, yeah, just he'll go get to the printed. courthouse, I, printed dude. mugshot. He's gonna sell that mugshot. It's which be awesome. uh, yeah, whichever whichever uh, officer of the law uh, is quickest to sell that. I mean, they must somebody must already have like a deal with fucking like TMZ or like the New York Post or something. My assumption that is that mugshot. he'll sell it himself. I mean, you have access yeah. to it. Um, you do have to pay like a small. They'll fee have to get access it. to it first, though. Yeah, they will. T- they will. They will first. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. I think being able to like personally monetize that, you'd have to make some like clandestine behind the scenes deal. You couldn't really like make money off it. Like he's going to be able to once he gets it. Well, yeah. If you get convicted, uh, it is uh, you're not allowed to make any money off of your crimes. I think that's uh, that was a thing from the dude that the Wolf of Wall Street it was about, Jordan Belfort. So what if I mean? So if you made money, if you're off convicted, of your... if you if you're convicted, right? And and his lawyers probably wouldn't want him making money off of it beforehand um i mean you i mean you maybe could but yeah you can't make uh, uh as far as i know you can't make money off of a felony conviction hmm. i'm not sure if misdemeanor also counts um <laughs> but yeah so like you can't like write a memoir about the crime that you committed when you get out of prison Interesting. Like, yeah you wouldn't be able to make money off of that right you have to like spin it in some other way and be like, "I'm an expert on crimes in general." Although technically, you're not. You're also not allowed to make money off of you know uh, profit off of a political position. But every fucking uh, you know everybody who serves in like any position, they of all like write whatsoever a, write writes a, a go, has a book ghost written about them. Yeah, it makes money off of that. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah, that's funny. It's it's when you realize that they're all ghost written too. It's like it becomes so shitty. Like, yeah, of course. Uh, there's no way. Fucking, I mean, dude, fucking Barack Obama has like fucking like two thousand pages of memoirs or something like that. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the when fuck? did he have the time to write that? Yeah. You know, while well, he was on the campaign trail, he sat down yeah. and wrote his memoirs. Really? Yeah. What, Sancho? What do you want? He's. Uh, yeah, I know, buddy. I, I like you too. <laughs> Like, he I just want, like I want. he just walks up to me. It just I just hear, Mah! and he's just staring at me, waiting to get pep. Yeah. Um. Oh. So anyway, yeah, the Trump thing happened, and like it'll be interesting to see what becomes of it. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think we were right to have the stance that like whatever it is, it's not going to be like yeah. I mean, did, the funniest thing is that he used campaign finances to pay a porn star hush money about... He, he didn't. What he did was he paid... <laughs> that's the, It's like a slightly slight deviation from that. He paid her with his personal funds, yeah. and then he used campaign funds to reimburse himself at okay, a later yeah, date. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he didn't Which, which the up- funny thing is, too, he could have used campaign funds to pay her off if you if you go through the right channels that's like legal like you can pay hush money out of your campaign finances it's just he didn't go the right way right you know i mean he didn't do it with the you know the right steps but that's like that's the thing and and you know our our mutual friend sent us that silly little meme about like the the steps of trump denial and as funny as that is like it it is still totally accurate like 
he's he's gonna just go through the next stage which is like you know where he's been like i didn't do it they're lying it's illegal what they're doing and eventually it'll just end up with him, him being like yeah i did it and it's not a big deal i'll do it again and it's not a big deal and that's the thing well it's that's the thing it's deal. actually not right like, <laughs> it's like if anything like both sides are trying to whip this up into more than it is for for opposing reasons you know and he wants it to seem like it's some big assault on like his freedom and whatever you know i'm sure he would love to get like his door kicked down and fucking dragged oh in yeah and, like, dude, yeah he i mean he would love yeah, that he's shit. like i'm sure that this will play very well for him you know yeah. what i mean yeah, I saw some tweet from it's, some it's, conservative talking head, which was it was a dumbass take, but like, of course it was. It also, was like, talking also, head. also like, kind of true. Where he was like, uh, liberals have just turned Donald Trump into Tupac Shakur. Oh, I <laughs> saw that too, dude. Yeah. Right, and it's dude, like, shut the fuck up. First of all, that's like just like what a fucking tepid take. But also, yeah. like, there's an element of truth to that in that conservatives who are like already Trump fans will view it that way. Like, this is yeah. like his like cool ass fucking arrest moment. Yeah, he got where... arrested right before the fucking album drops. You know, right, right. <laughs> like, it's it's it it is super fucking lame. But like, there are people who will read it that way. Um, the only difference is that like that's not like some objective truth where like everyone's gonna see it and be like oh wow like i guess he was yeah. right all along like anyway yeah the funny thing is too is this is just some fucking trigger happy like manhattan da who's trying to make a name for himself too you know well, what i mean yeah it's funny and they keep trying to frame him as being sort of the antithesis of that but it's like come on no like, the only reason to do this yeah is because you're trying to be the guy who did this yeah but right exactly <laughs> like and and all the like the the liberal news outlets are like oh he's he's measured in his approach and this is so unlike him it's like well nothing can really be like more like someone than a thing that they do so like yeah. you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this this like career defining move is so like not his mo it's like really cuz nobody had any fucking clue who he was before this yeah. It's like this is this is the entirety of his mo. This yeah, is, this is actually his mo. Now this is the thing that this he is has the done. thing that he is now known for. Like <laughs> this is this is what's his name? I don't even fucking know. I don't give a shit. I refuse to let that information <laughs> seep into the crevices. Well, let's in my let's brain. say his name is Ben Johnson. This is this is now the Ben Johnson. Like this yeah. is this is it. This um, is yeah. This is the Johnson maneuver. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Not to be confused with, uh, with world the world famous the Jurgensen maneuver. maneuver, which is uh, the the ideal a joke way. only between the two of us that nobody else will get. <laughs> but honestly, one of the funniest moments I think we've ever had, like in person, it, 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 it has provided us laughing about it with no more than like maybe like four weeks in between each time we bring it up for like years and yeah. years and years. Which is sort of. Uh, and I think we've talked about this before. That really is like the genesis of this podcast. In a lot of yeah. ways, Evan and I have been doing Left Unread for like a decade. It's yeah. just been uh, only two years oh, that we decided to let been... other people into our circle of shit. <laughs> right? Yeah, we haven't been like recording or broadcasting or writing <laughs> it for most of that. It's just been <laughs> us like in a private little echo chamber of fucking strangeness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that so, even our other friends are just like, dude, like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, you know that there's, like, a thing about us being in the same room, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, it's... And and it's totally valid. It's... <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, when... 
when our overlapping and actually i don't find that this is true around everyone like when we go and do like that magic tournament like i think yeah. we're pretty chill and normal but there's something about a certain group of guys and a certain dynamic where it's like we when you're surrounded by up. so many quiet little guys sometimes yeah. you have to rise up and yeah fill that void <laughs> i don't know yep. anyway um and we do rise to the occasion uh, yeah yeah whether it's wanted or not yeah i was thinking the other day do you remember about that time where we went out for breakfast like a, a morning after a show and we were all like either still drunk or like you know so oftentimes back in the day we would just like start drinking again in the morning and we went yeah. to some diner and i guess i was just like really on one like just loud and fucking obnoxious yeah. and whatever but like you know good natured like never like starting fights or problems or anything but it was yeah. just like us and then a bunch of like old grumpy townies and whatever town yeah. this was and then when we like paid the check and left like a bunch of old dudes applauded that i was leaving i do not remember do you remember that oh it's like my greatest shame it was like <laughs> in that moment where i realized like oh man like i am rambunctious <laughs> <laughs> and it's you are, not yeah. everyone's cup of tea <laughs> <coughs> yeah although that was probably 10 years ago so i don't know anyway um <clears throat> in lieu of uh more current events are you cool if we dive in because even though i said this isn't like some barn burner episode there is a fair bit of information i'd like to get through yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I, I'm a uh, pretty brain dead after a long day too, so I'm itching to get some dinner in me. So let's do this. Cool, 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 cool. Um, well, with that said, let's start the show. Yeah, the show's started. Um, so, yeah, so this is going to be part two of my Mongol Conquests series. Um, and the episode is as yet unnamed, so there will be a name for it. And I don't know. I think the show is going to be, it's going to be called Humble Beginnings, but I'm still trying to workshop what the series name is. I started it was the Mongol Conquests. I don't know, man. Maybe just the Mongols, because it really is about more than just the Conquests. So maybe this is the name. Okay. Maybe this is the name. The Mongols 2. Humble Beginnings. You know what I mean? I honestly think that kind of tracks. What do you think? That's fine by me. You think just the Mongols is good? Nope. I mean, dude, that's what I I put for the image for episode one before you change it to the Mongol Conquest. Because you put on your notes last time, the Mongols. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway... So that's what we're going to call it, I guess. Anyway, so welcome, welcome. Before before we continue, um, do you want to talk about the new... It's in my my thing. But yeah, Uh, we can do it now. Um, So as I said, this is part of a series and something that I did uh, earlier today that I think will be kind of useful, um, especially for those of you that use Spotify, which is the largest chunk of you. 
um, compared to anything else. Uh, and I don't know why we haven't done this yet, but you know how we have a playlist uh, called LU Rippers, which you should follow, that has all of our music. Um, we also have now a playlist called LU Series, um, where basically I've just taken all of our sequential series episodes and you know our feed can be kind of chaotic um as you guys now realize like we don't always release series episodes back to back that's because evan and i split up the workload of writing and recording and we don't tag team series just because i don't know i think it's more fun and more natural for us that way so um and we might not always have the same take on certain things so like it wouldn't really make sense for me to do a ancient mysteries episode right so um the result of that is that we have lots of stuff that's like quote unquote out of order and we try to title things in a way that's easy to follow but um now I, if you go and follow that playlist you can actually just listen to them very easily in order um back to back now that is just on spotify but i am going to look into trying to figure out how to do that in a more uh, accessible way for everyone else but if you have access to spotify again that playlist is lu the letter l the letter u uh series and it has our podcast logo right on it and yep. uh yeah so dive in there and um yeah and then um i can also i'll i'll post the link to it on uh on twitter so for those perfect. Of you that follow us on twitter do that but yeah yep. i mean uh i think i think one of the most egregious examples is my american utopia series i think part two is 28 and part three is like in the 40s <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's it, stuff jumps around a lot so this just seems yeah. like a cool way to clean house and you know if we revisit that um if you do another one then we can slide it back. you know what i mean it just makes yeah. things look a little neater so rather than like redo our actual feed which would mess with numbers and stuff and we do enough of that already because i fuck up editing and <laughs> things like that um <laughs> rather than add another element of that to that i figured why not just do like a playlist yeah. and that seems like a good fix for now so yeah um, honestly i think it's actually a pretty good unintentional bit that we have an episode where we dedicate to talking about donald trump's open asshole leaking and then all the songs are like edited <laughs> versions are three of them oh ones. yeah well so that's the <laughs> other thing that uh and i'm not even gonna bother to go back and do it because yeah. whatever but yeah I, I i steal a lot of music for this show and it's songs that i listen to well, multiple times before yeah yeah, yeah. That I listened to multiple times before uh, using, but not from the source that I take them from. And so a lot of occasionally now it's happened that I've accidentally grabbed the like edited for mass consumption versions. Whatever. Like we'll put the real versions on our playlist and you guys yeah. are adults. You can fucking deal with not hearing the N word in a yeah. song. <laughs> like, uh, or, dude, it's not going to, it's not going to like Gucci hurt your, they're so funny, dude. It's not going to like hurt your rotten brains to not hear the N word a few more times. <laughs> well, I just do. I like the funny one was, uh, when we did, um, uh, blood all on it, by like Gucci Mane with like key Glock and, uh, fucking, yeah. um, well, that one golf. we've went back and it, it's just like, why is there even an edited version of the song? Well, There's a lot like, of yeah, a lot of these go, songs like, it's ten like, words without... and they mainly release them on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. which is where I steal a bunch of music from because it's just the easiest well, way to well, not steal, we just rip when it I from. utilize for for intellectual we don't make purposes, money from this. Yeah, we make no money um, when I when I when I use music from elsewhere anyway whatever doesn't fucking matter so anyway go follow that playlist it's a cool playlist i think you guys will have a really good time with it and um you know if if there are series that you've avoided listening to just because of how like daunting our feed looks then just pop over there and it'll make things really easy and great and maybe you can go back and re-listen to stuff so this one's going to be on there um part one is already on there yes sir anyway um 
Speaking of that, if you haven't listened to part one of this, I do recommend that you do. Um, it's called a 12th century tour. Um, it's not absolutely necessary because our actual narrative is going to start this week. But, you know, unless you have like a pre-existing background, background of, of 12th century uh, Mongolia and the world around it, um, I do think it's a good starting point. I did it for a reason. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I would have gotten really bogged down on this week that I was able to kind of... I don't want to say get out of the way because I fucking love that episode, but I also, you know, it allowed me to kind of stick to the narrative more closely this week without explaining so much. So I do recommend you go back and check that out. And also, honestly, while you're there uh, at the playlist LU series, go back and listen to some of our older stuff because, like, specifically, I was listening a little bit today to Evan's um, uh, The History of the Kings of Britain series, which is such a fucking good time and, like, (laughs) such a good series. Um so that's one that I'm just going to shout out specifically, but go back and just check yeah, some of that stuff out. My boy out Jeffrey of Mom, yeah, that one. he fucking did. He was snapping with some of that. Yeah, shit. yeah, for sure, for sure. He was he was swinging for the fences on that. Um, I, was, I was like dissociating during the Merlin episode, reading his prophecies. Like, what the dude, fuck yeah, is those this dude are, talking about. Imagine being me and like just having to like try to keep up with it. It was yeah. Uh, I mean, some of your ancient oh, mysteries oh, yeah, ones do that to me he's too. Just like, rattling off series of names for like ten pages in a row, like not yeah. even exaggerating. It's just pa- like pages and pages of just names. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's like the Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'm guessing was his main, you know, he was that's the book that everyone had experience with before. <laughs> before any fan else, of the good so book, any literate yeah, man would be well versed in the the Bible. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, this this week's episode, we are going to finally start talking about the origins and the rise of Genghis Khan. Uh, the man himself, he's my own personal history rock star. He's my celebrity crush. He's the scourge of God. Um, and I'm pretty amped because honestly, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up doing a lot more episodes on this than I thought because the story is just so fucking good. Like it just beats, creep, bro. I know, I know. It's real. And it just it beats like Game of Thrones and all that shit absolutely to shit. Like this Genghis Khan's like personal story is so goddamn cool. Um and there's just let's so many cool little lady. anecdotes and stories. So without further ado, let's uh let's start talking about it. So the year of Genghis Khan's birth, uh, as I mentioned last time, is somewhat contested, but we're going with the most commonly accepted year of 1162 CE here on Left on Red because we're not archaeologists and it seems like the most accepted year and it seems like a good year to roll with. Um, there's a lot of earlier estimates, but that would mean that he didn't like have kids till he was 30 and was like conquering shit until he was like in his 70s, which... You know, he was pretty badass, but like he probably didn't wait to fuck until he was thirty. You know? Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't add up. Eleven sixty-two works. Plus, also eleven sixty-two is the year of the horse in a lot of East Asian calendars, which just sounds cool for fucking Genghis Khan. It really ought to be the year of the horse. So we're rolling with it, and we're just not going to spend much time on the alternatives. Um, but the the reason I say that now is because that idea of like there being uh, 
different narratives and and contested theories about the specifics here um, is sort of a recurring theme when we're talking about Genghis Khan. Traditional Mongol taboos around discussion of death and dying and successive attempts to hide or obscure details of his life lead to a certain air of mystery around this guy. And that's not to say that we don't know much. In fact, the 21st century has seen some really fascinating discoveries and general like piecing together of the narrative around Genghis that are super fun and satisfying to kind of try to keep abreast of. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain sense that the man himself isn't entirely knowable to us. And this has always really interested me. Um, it's, it's true of a lot of like great quote unquote, great figures from history where either time or propaganda or both have kind of obscured the narrative and left a sheen of the legendary over a particular figure lending gravitas to their mythos, but also kind of making it difficult to ascertain the human being, right? They're sort of untouchable. They're these, I don't know, these, these mythical figures, even though they were real people like Augustus is the person I kept thinking about Charlemagne, Charlemagne, right? No. Um, Genghis Khan is much the same, though historians now know far, far more about him than they did even a couple decades ago, um, not to mention centuries ago. We owe this in large part to the translation of the contemporary Mongol texts known to posterity as the secret history of the Mongols, which provides some really wonderful insights into the life and the conquests of Genghis Khan and are the basis uh, for most modern scholarship into his early years. The secret history as we know it is best preserved in a copy uh, found, I believe, in the 19th century in Beijing, uh, which was written during the Qing dynasty in Chinese characters and which confounded translators for years. It was first published in the West by some Russian monk whose name I forget, like, not Pelagius, Pallius, it was Pallius. an, an Eastern Orthodox monk who first published it, but it wasn't officially fully translated for a long time. And the, the, the reason for that is that even though it was written in Chinese characters and people speak Chinese, lots of people do, um, maybe the most people, uh, a lot but people. <laughs> a lot of folks speak, uh, a lot of folks speak Mandarin. They do. It's, it's, it's a lingua franca, including John Cena. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he learned. <laughs> it's so crazy Mandarin. watching him watching videos of him speak it. You feel like you're kind of like having a stroke or something. Yeah. Um. So the problem is that it's it's not really written in Chinese. It's it's written in 13th century Mongolian using Chinese characters, which was not actually the standard script uh, for Mongolian at the time. Chinggis himself adopted the the Uyghur script as the official script of spoken Mongolian at the point at that point, and so this was written later, probably under the Yuan Dynasty, which we'll get to at some point because it kicks ass. And you've probably heard of Kublai Khan, not just that kind of sort of shitty hardcore band from Texas, but uh, also the guy, the um, Xanadu guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, famous, and, famous in that Rush song. <laughs> so <laughs> it was hard to kind of keep track of exactly what this was talking about. And the, the main knowledge that we had of it came from the fact that every sort of chapter of this chronicle ended with a Chinese language summary of the previous chapter. So they didn't fully translate each chapter into Chinese. They would write it in Mongolian and Chinese characters and then just do like a little brief blurb about like what the previous chapter was about. But we lost a lot of details from that. No, And... Finally, it, it has been successfully translated, first obviously into Chinese and then into English, and it gives us a really tremendous amount of new insight into Mongol history and historiography, 
and is much of the basis for the main book that I'm using for this episode, which is Jack Weatherford's Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Um, by no means like the ultimate authority, but especially on a lot of this early life stuff, this is really good. And I've read this book like three times, and I do recommend it. It's definitely revisionist, um, but it's 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 a good read, and I think anybody that finds stuff interesting will probably enjoy it. And like I said, he uses the secret histories a lot, so a lot of this early life stuff is in there, which is really cool. So it's important to note that like tons of works of history which were commissioned by rulers or for rulers and their families throughout history, the secret history is definitely a propaganda piece. It's not a perfect account of anything, particularly when it comes to the personal details of the great Khan himself. This comes. Uh, this is partly because it was written after his death, and partly because uh, the royal family wanted Papa Genghis to look uh, hip and sexy and cool. But it is still considered an excellent source on the Mongol perception of their own history and their deeds and their culture and their place in the world. And so it's therefore basically invaluable as a resource uh, because really nothing else like it exists. Um, it's also pretty unique in that even later contemporary Mongol histories and texts, like not that much later, tend to be pretty rife with Buddhist imagery and philosophy and ideology because that comes to dominate the bulk of Mongol culture, especially Eastern Mongol culture and the Mongols that stay in the homeland. Um, those obviously that moved West will tend to adopt Islam, which has its own sort of effects on the way that their knowledge is preserved and shared. Mm -hmm. But the secret history is great because it's, it's one of the, the first real Mongol chronicles written by Mongols about Mongols. And one of the last to not be written from the perspective of devout Buddhists or, or Muslims or, you know, anybody who's still what we would consider like real Tengrist Mongols writing this, or, or at least it was written for them, which is fun. Yeah. We so, have fun here. <laughs> we like to have a good time here at Left yeah. Under Red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can this think of the pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, ostensibly. <laughs> it's a weird kind of pleasure. There's pain and pleasure. Yeah. You're goddamn right, brother. You're goddamn fucking <laughs> right, boy. Um, so you I'm can flagellate myself as we speak. <laughs> um, you can think of the story that I'm I'm going to tell about young Genghis uh, as falling somewhere between like the Romulus and Remus myth, and then mm. like a modern biography in terms of accuracy. Uh, which is to say, he for sure existed, unlike Romulus and Remus, and he really probably did a lot of what's recorded, including the early life stuff. But the details are pretty fuzzy. I mean, even think about like the way you would tell a story or an anecdote about like your great grandfather that you had learned from your parents and you know what I mean? Like you're going to mm -hmm. be missing details. It's not going to be the same. And so it's sort of like that. I mean, his family did relate some of this to Chronicles, but these are just the stories that he told that he chose to share. And he was also dead when this was written. So you got to take right. all of it with a grain Peace of salt, him. but it's, it's about as good as we're going to get. And it's a lot better than a lot of older stuff. It's better than a lot of the stuff we have about the Romans, for example, right? Like, it's just better mm. preserved. It's more more recent by a millennia. So, um, anyway, here's the tale of Little Genghis, circa 1162. So, Genghis Khan wasn't always called Genghis Khan, which is nuts, I know. But Genghis Khan is actually a title. It's not a name. Uh, it means something like universal ruler or king of everything, which yeah. is, I think, pretty tight. I think it's cool as shit that, like, that's how we the still Khan call of him. Khans. You know, he, like, earned his... It's it's like if you, like, achieved the rank of CEO at your company or something, and then forever that was just how they, they knew you. That actually sounds a lot lamer. 
but <laughs> like way lamer. But I, I, there's not really a modern analog. It's like if you conquered everything and then everybody stopped knowing you as you know Evan, and instead you were just like eternal badass, and that was just what you were known okay, as. Well, you kind of cooked with that one. I like that. Right? Yeah, I know. That, <laughs> I figured that was. Uh, that's why I used you instead of me. You always like uh, to get the cool nicknames. I do. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate those. <laughs> So, a Khan was a Mongol leader or chief. Um, a Kagan was like a Khan of Khans. Yep. And a Genghis Khan, well, there's not really a precedent for that. And that's going to sort of be a big part of our story. We're going to find ourselves with the first one of one, Genghis Khan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, his actual name was Temujin. And he was his mother's first child. It probably wasn't easy having a baby anywhere in the 12th century. But if you had the option to pick a place, you probably wouldn't pick a Mongol Gur in the far northeastern reaches of the Eurasian steppe between the Onon River and the Kenti Mountains. Why? Because it would fucking suck. It's cold as a baby dick, day, bro. Right? It's a lot of things. And none of them are chill for childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. a Gur, um, you might have actually, I don't remember if I said the word yurt in previous episodes, but the Mongols. No, we definitely mentioned yurt last time. Yeah, so yurts we are, the yurt. and people the still yurt say that, like in, in modern parlance, yurt is kind of interchangeable. But the actual Mongol term for the sort of portable dwellings that they lived in and many still do live in is, is Gur, Ger, G-E-R. Um, so I'll be trying to switch to that. Yurt might come up. I, I may have missed it. I might say it occasionally. Ostensibly, it's the same thing. It's just a, another Turkic word for the same basic type of ho- house. Derp, so, derp. Um, you know, you can kind of think of it like, you know, how, how folks might erroneously say TP to refer to, like, any portable dwelling of, like, the Plains natives. And they actually yeah. served a very similar um, purpose. They were hide stretched over, like, a wooden frame. And uh, you could move them fairly easily, but they were sturdy enough to withstand any kind of inclement weather conditions, wind, snow, you know, wind, some rain. rain, some sleet. Yep, dark of night. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So that that's that's sort of the drill with a with a gear. Yeah. So anyway, not a good place to have a baby. So this small desolate region was the homeland of the Mongols, a small and relatively insignificant group of steppe herders who were related to the Tartars, the Manchus, um, the Khitans, the Turkic nomads that sort of surrounded them. But they are distinct, and they are infamous for their especially brutal homeland and the hard people that it bred. You might remember in part one of this series, we talk a little bit about some of the cultural and ethnic distinctions in this region. Things do get blurry. Sometimes it's hard to tell who is and isn't a Mongol. Um, People that were not originally Mongols get absorbed into what we now know of as the Mongols uh, in about... 50 years, everyone I'm describing now is going to be a Mongol to the rest of the world. Um, yeah. So, whatever. Don't don't dwell on it too much. It gets a little a little murky. Uh, that's not just you. That's just how it is. Um, but to suffice, suffice it to say that at the time, to these people, they had very distinct ideas of who was and wasn't what. Uh, so the Mongols were for sure steppe nomads, and they kept many elements of that tradition. But by their own legendary accounts, uh, their ancestors had actually come down to the steppe out of the Siberian wilderness to the north, descending from the union of Burte Chino, blue-gray wolf, and mm. Guamaral, beautiful white doe. So a wolf and a, and a deer did it, and uh, they had Would a baby. Would you rather be the wolf or the deer? I mean, I feel like I, I am a top in real life, so I guess the wolf... Because he's the guy in this. Um, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, either one could be interesting. Yeah. Be, it'd be unique for sure. I have fun sure. either way. 
Yeah, right. I'm 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 here for a good time, not a long time. So I'm just trying um, to take part in the union of the Botticino. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm okay with my role, uh, <laughs> whatever is available. <laughs> I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm just hey, I'm just trying to sire some Mongols, you know. Yeah. So I guess suffice it to say that these dudes are are rugged and tough, even by the standards of like just an overall rugged and tough area. Like nobody that we're describing is soft. Right. Yeah. But then there are there are subgroups within the different cultures that are just like the hardos of the hardos. And the Mongols yeah. kind of are that. Like they're living like a pretty like subsistence living even by step standards. Like it's yeah. it's pretty nuts. Shit's rough. They're known for like eating mice and shit. Because and that's how like other people speak about them sort of in a derogatory way. Yeah. Um because they have to. They have to eat like weasels and shit that they catch. They don't have enough herd animals to kind of just eat that. They're they're really, really tough subsistence like hunter gatherers. Fun fact, they also claimed direct descent from the Huns, like Attila the Hun. Yeah. Um, Hun is a word in Mongolian. It means human being. And they refer to those Huns as the Hunnu, people of the sun. Temujin's mother was named Holun. Uh, and she was in her early 20s at the time of his birth. Holun was a member of the Olhunud clan, who lived further south in a land of relative prosperity, herding and living well off of livestock, meat, and milk. Now... She was in her early 20s, according to, like, official accounts, um, potentially younger. Um, some of this shit happened, you know, pretty young. Um, but, you know, this is a safe estimate, and that's kind of what we have to go off of. Yeah. There are differing accounts, though. So you might see, like, I think in um, Jack Weatherford's book, which I'm using, he sometimes talks about the timeline gets a little murky, but he sometimes talks about her being, like, 16, and then all of a sudden she's, like, late 20s, and it's just like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like that much time passed. Whatever. You can't get too bogged down in it. Um, she's yeah. young. So she was a member of the Olkhunud clan, um, and then Temujin's father Yesuge uh, was actually not the man that home. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, 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 I told you I was kind of shit brained tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's all right. So Yesuge was yeah, not yes, the man gay. that Holun was supposed to have married. That honor had been reserved for a man named Chiladu, a member of the Merkit people. Holun's clan, the Olkunud, were renowned for the beauty and fertility of their women. And so Chiladu had traveled to her homeland to court her and enter into a traditional period of service to her family that may have lasted years before her father gave him permission to take Holun in marriage. So this was quite an investment. And so we can probably infer that Holun was something of a catch. Eventually, when the time was right, Chiladu left with his new bride for the long trek back to Merkit territory, astride his own horse, while Holun would have been brought in sort of a small marital cart. Um, obviously, Mongol men and women knew how to ride horses, but for yeah. something like this, you know, they're obviously not standing on too much ceremony, but she at least gets to ride the cart back home before, uh, before being married off. But little did they know, however, that they were being watched. A passing group of Borjigin hunters all brothers under the direction of the eldest, Yesuge, was tracking them. You see, the Borjigan clan were from the north, bordering the wildlands at the feet of the Kenti Mountains, and they didn't mess with things like family service when they wanted a lady. Nah, they preferred that secondary method of planes betrothal, straight-up kidnapping. So they had stormed out of the tree line, and they made a beeline for Chiladu and Holun. Mm-hmm. Chiladu, thinking fast, attempted to lead his pursuers away, so he books it, and he's thinking he's going to lead them and lose them in the forest, hoping to spare his new bride the inevitable fate of a captured woman in these parts. Yesuge and his brothers weren't falling for this, though. They heard that there was an Olkhunud dime piece in that cart, and even though Yesuge already had a wife at home, he was down to double it and pass it on to the next guy, 
which was also him. <laughs> so the men honed in on Holun, and Chiladu wheeled around, realizing that he had not succeeded in drawing their attention. Attempt failed, Chiladu. He did not pass the, uh, what are we going to call this, a dexterity check? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so in this moment, Holun, maybe charisma. Yeah. In this moment, Holun had to make up her mind. She could either fight and wait for Chiladu to try and save her, in which case he would likely be killed and then she would still be captured. Yeah, that's or, a charisma. Yeah, that's a charisma check. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or she could surrender and then she would still be captured, but her beloved Chiladu, who had lived with her family for years wooing her, and keep in mind she's probably like a teenager at this point. She's like obsessed with this guy. She loves him. He's like the only non relative dude she's ever met. So she's just like, Yeah, fuck yeah, I love this guy. Yeah. Um <laughs> He would live and maybe be able to mount a rescue later. So Holun took off of her took off her shirt, her outer blouse. She called out to Chiladu to stay where he was, threw the garment to him, and she signaled to Yesuge and his brothers that she would go willingly. And this is one of those little moments in the secret history that might seem a little odd at first to a Western reader. So I remember thinking, like, well, this seems kind of, like, cowardly. Like, why didn't he at least try to, like, do something? And then also, like, why is she taking her shirt off and, like, throwing it at him? Um, is she, like, yeah. trying to, like, tempt them with her with her tatas? I don't know. Now, yeah, it's right. super like, cold, so this definitely isn't her only garment. She's definitely not throwing her only piece of clothing at him. Yeah, um, yeah, so, I, that, yeah she's probably got some more layers. That's a, that's a climate of layers. Sure, sure. So to answer the first question um, about Chiladu, like, why didn't he do more? It's, this is just sort of how conflict plays out on the step. Um, and this mm-hmm. is sort of important to note. Shit like this, like this kidnapping, happen all the time. And it's sort of the part of the, of the cycle of violence that has been a part of step culture for centuries. Uh, not only kidnappings, but also raids. Um, these are herders, as I mentioned, but sometimes winters are tough and there's not enough game to hunt. There's not enough meat. And so you, instead of going out hunting, you go out hunting for people and you try to catch whoever you can and take their shit. Um, as long as they are not part of your family group, they are an enemy. That's sort Mm -hmm. of the simple way that Mongols and and their, their relatives view the world. Um, anyone that isn't us is an enemy or a potential enemy and they're fair game for violence. Um, the idea wasn't really to kill people. It was more to take stuff. And nobody has everything they could possibly desire. So everybody's engaging in this sort of cyclical raiding and and small-scale warfare. Um, very similar to, like, early Viking raids. Very similar to the Plains Indians in this country. Um, it's not, like, knock-down, drag-out wars of conquest. It's very much, like, just a part of the cycle of subsistence living. And while it it bred really strong people and really tough fighters, they weren't in it to, like, fucking kill each other. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So a lot of the time what would happen when a raid like this occurred, especially if one side is notably outnumbered like this, there's, like, three or four guys against just Chiladu, he's going to get on the fastest horse he can and he's just going to ride away. Um, and this isn't done out of cowardice, but it's necessity. So this is a brutal land. No, the fuck's he going to do? Well, Exactly. And so those men and those – they would take the best horses and ride away on them. So those men and those horses were vital to ensuring the continued survival of their whole family. 
uh, through herding, hunting, and their own raiding. And so if the men died or the horses got stolen, they could no longer provide for their family, and perhaps equally importantly, they could no longer seek vengeance. So generally, this tactical retreat wasn't just like running away. It was heading to the nearest camp of their own relatives, trying to get some guys together, and setting off in pursuit to see if you can catch them, get your people back, get your shit back, and then maybe get some revenge for being humiliated like this. So this is likely what Chiladu and Holun expected um, in some capacity. He would flee, gather his relatives, and hunt his bride's captives down um, where he could face them on more even footing. So what's with the shirt thing? Um, and I, I actually found this really interesting. So Holun is actually doing something pretty, uh, pretty romantic here. She's leaving Chiladu a scent memory of her. And this is actually a really romantic, like a deeply romantic gesture in steppe culture. Uh, according to to Weatherford's scent, uh, which you know everyone says is the strongest sense tied to memory, it has special significance in Mongol culture. So where we might lean in and give a loved one a hug or a kiss on the cheek, a steppe person would probably lean in and give them a little sniff. Um, and this is still true. I know it sounds kind of different, like a but like dog, right? Well, <laughs> but like they're you know they're breathing in like your smell. Yeah. They're trying to remember you. They want to have like a a, a scent memory of that moment where they were mm-hmm. with you. Um, and so remembering a person's scent of their body, their breath, whatever, is, is considered deeply loving and intimate. And while I'm sure almost everyone on Earth in the 12th century would have been pretty fucking gnarly. Smell like a fucking barn animal, man. You know what I mean? Um, Chiladu would have origi- uh, immediately recognized this for what it was, uh, a yeah. promise of love and a hope for eventual reunion. So as he rode off from the scene of this tragedy, he could clutch Holland's blouse to him and smell her and plan his revenge. But uh, the steppe is a big place, and Borjigan lands, like I said, are really far from those of the Mirkit and pretty much everything else. They're filled with danger, they're filled with mystery, and the further that the kidnappers get from the scene of this crime, the less likely it is that Chiladu would ever be able to find them again. Mm. Plus, even if he did, getting enough guys together to leave their families and travel so far north to mount a rescue is actually really unlikely. Uh, best intentions and stinky romance aside, this would be the last time that Holun and Chiladu would ever see each other on Earth. The beautiful young Olkunud woman, who had just been married for the first time, and is likely around like 16 or 17 years old, and she's now looking at a very different life than she had thought she would be only like an hour before. So it's off to the Borjigid homeland, where she would become the second wife of Yesuge. And like I said... Isn't this just so fucking dramatic and great? I love this stuff. It's so it is, cool. but I disagree with you that this beats Song of Ice and Fire to hell. I love. Well, I wasn't going to say that out loud. Uh. <laughs> I just put that in there as like a little personal note to myself yeah. to note my excitement. Um, yeah. I do think those bo- books are pretty dumb. Like revisiting them, I think they're pretty shitty. But I know you're a big fan, so like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to die on that hill. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I basically left that series behind, and then House of the Dragon came out, and I read Fire and Blood, and now I'm back hooked. Really? Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. You you were you were a pretty big fanboy for a long time. I wasn't sure. If I that mean, was dude, still, I uh, fucking I read all of those books. Like, speed read them over like I don't even know. Yeah, four months or something like that. Those are hey, big bastards too. F- fair enough. Yeah, they are. I've still never. I've read the first three twice, and I can't. Get well, you never finished the third one, right? Which is crazy. Uh, I, I don't remember one. actually. Yeah, I might have. I, I thought I did the second time, but yeah, I might not have ever finished the second, the third one. Um, I watched crazy, the whole man. show, and yeah. it was well, fine. Yeah. First, first three or four seasons of that show are pretty. Oh, tight. the first four are great. It's like did right. Yeah, once yeah. It, five is, in my opinion, the worst. I know everybody hates eight, but yeah. five was fucking utter dog shit. Yeah, things get pretty silly. 
Anyway, whatever. That's well trodden territory. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Um, we have so Dude, years pass by. Talk. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I think about you? So years pass by, and Temujin is born yeah. in 1162, the year of the horse. And his birth was odd right from the get-go, as there was a strange portent that none could parse. So when the little boy was pulled screaming from his mother into the world, his little baby fist had been clutching something. So Holun reached down and pried open the tiny fingers to discover little Temujin grasping a blood clot roughly the size of a knuckle bone in his hand. He had grasped it inside the womb and pulled it out into the world. And to the deeply uh, deeply superstitious Mongols, this oddity was of note, even if they couldn't tell what precisely it actually meant. Definitely means something. We don't really know what. Some people in hindsight... I'd be a little freaked out even now. Yeah, it'd be weird. If I had Uh, a little baby boy and he came out gripping some fucking blood clot, I'd be like... Can you switch this one for yeah. one of the other babies? Can you wash that hand off, please? Yeah, can you switch this baby with one of those other babies that just came out? That baby Nobody came out holding an entire order of french fries still oh. hot. Can I have him? Because I want Yeah, I want the fries. fries. <laughs> yeah, those are those are Cajun curly fries. <laughs> um, Mine's holding a nasty fucking piece of blood. Come on, man. <laughs> he came out wrong, man. He came out wrong. That boy just ain't right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, some people in hindsight would say that it portended that the boy would cause great, immeasurable bloodshed one day. And I mean, like, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. You can't really argue with that, right? Like, he definitely is about to fucking kill some folks. Yeah, Things no, are going to yeah, get that, hairy. That would not be the last blood clot he held in his life. Nah, man, it's about to get pretty sticky for, like, a quarter of the humans on Earth. But I think he, he had also potentially saved his mother. Uh, by removing the clot from within her. And I think that that is equally worth noting. Um, I just think that's, you know, another stance. That's just keep it in mind. Yeah. So the meaning of his name, 
Temujin has long been the subject of debate. Some say that it derives from the Turkic word for blacksmith, which could be true. Um, Jack Weatherford states that a Mongolian scholar told him it was derived from the Mongolian root verb temul, uh, which is part of a bunch of different words, meaning things like to rush in headlong, to be inspired, to take a flight of fancy. And the student gave this great, I put this in here, the student said that it was best exemplified by, quote, the look in the eye of a horse that is racing where it wants to go, no matter what the rider wants. That's nice. cool as hell. And actually, a couple of his other siblings have the same root at their name. He's got a brother named Temuge and a sister named Temulun. Um, so clearly, there's sort of a, a thing here, which is pretty kick-ass. But uh-huh. the sources all agree on the reason that Temujin was given his name. Uh-huh. You see, Holun had, as expected, become the wife of Yesuge of the Borjigan clan of Mongols. Yesuge, like all Mongol men, engaged in sporadic raiding to gain from others what nature could not provide. During a recent raid against the neighboring Tatars, Yesuge had bested a Tatar warrior named Temujin Uge, killing him in single combat, and upon his return shortly after the birth of his son, had given the boy the name of his bested foe. Uh, This is a highly symbolic gesture, and it was thought to impart impart into the boy a certain degree of character or destiny. Whether this meant that his father meant for him to grow up and kill many Tatars, uh, or that he had seen something he admired in the man that he had killed, or both, or neither, uh, we can't be entirely sure, but suffice it to say that Holden's first son was named after a man that her kidnapper husband had just murdered and robbed, which is very romantic. Yeah, she must have been love-struck. Over the moon. Over the moon. Uh, so later sources would claim that Yesuge had made Holun has his chief wife over his previous bride, or that she had only been a concubine, um, this woman Sochigel, um, with whom he already had a young son named Beter, and presumably, according to some sources, already had two sons with her, um, the other son being Belgute. Um, Belgute, we'll talk more about as the story goes on, he might either be slightly older or slightly younger than Temujin. That kind of bounces around. But Begter is is older. Um, it's his older half-brother with this woman, Sochigel. Um, and it's important that they doctored this or potentially doctored this because only the chief wife of a man could bear his heirs. And this would, however, have been highly unusual for him to sort of like look at her and be like, you're my second wife, but you're now my chief wife. Would have been a little weird. Um, and it sort of contradicts the way that Yesuge seems to have viewed his second son. Um, he tends to look at him as sort of something of a nuisance and, um, you know, potential competition for Begter. So it will make sense later why Mongol record keepers want to establish Genghis's or Genghis's legitimacy by making this fact up. Um, but really, we have no way of knowing whether it's true or not. So we'll just kind of move on. Uh, so as a son of Yesuge, little Temujin was a member of the Borjigan clan and descendant of the legendary 10th century warlord Budunchar Munkang, which is another fucking sick... The Mongols got naming fucking right. Yeah. Every fucking Mongol has a sick name. They're all just cool as shit. They just sound great. Uh, they're fun to say. I'm probably mispronouncing all of them. Listening to people <clears throat> speak Mongolian, it's an awesome language i put a bunch of mongolian music in the last episode that shit was made for metal like the vocals are so sick um the way they pronounce their syllables and roll their r's and it's just a sweet language um and their names are just tight um but uh so he's a descendant of boron charmunkang who was himself a great-grandson of borjigidai who is the guy that gave the borjigan clan their name and through Borjigidai, the line claims direct descent all the way back to Blue Gray Wolf and White Doe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thus, after a sense, Yesuge and thus his son Temujin are nobility, or they have the right to claim the title of Khan. They were poor as shit, 
Um, and they ate rats and marmots and stuff. And Yesuge barely had any horses or anything. And their territory was at the absolute ass end of the great north-south trade route through the steppe and the Gobi Desert down into China. But technically, they're nobility. Sort of. So Yesuge may have held the title of Khan, um, but he seems kind of insignificant. They don't really refer to him as Yesuge Khan much. Um, he definitely had the right to it, um, but he didn't really have much going on for him. He didn't have a lot of followers, and he ends up becoming subordinate to another Khan fairly shortly. So we don't call him Yesuge Khan. Temujin had several siblings. Uh, I've already mentioned Begter, uh, his slightly older half-brother from his family's uh, his father's other wife, Sochigel. Begter would prove to be Temujin's earliest rival. Uh, Sochigel also had another son, as I mentioned, Belgute, also slightly older than Temujin, who would later become a friend and who would go on to serve illustriously under Temujin during his rise to glory. However, uh, at this early age, the boys are still not close. There's like a there's a rivalry there. They have different mothers, and mm-hmm. they're they're not they're not besties. Mm-hmm. Um, Holun, Temujin's mother, had three more sons: Kasar, Hachun, and Temuge, and one daughter, Temulun. Um, all with man, Yesuge. this dude is fucking really doing pretty well in the son category. He's got a lot of sons, which yeah. could be good or bad, depending. I mean, yeah, I don't know. When you're super poor and you know not really getting anywhere in life right now, maybe a lot of sons is a problem. And he starts to kind of think that, you know. Yeah. Um, but that'll end and up being really formative up. for our little boy Temujin, our little yeah. our little dude. So both wives would have had their own gear in Yesuge's main camp along the Onon River. Um, where he was chieftain over, well, not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, they would all learn to shoot and ride and hunt and do all the things little Mongols learned to do, uh, all in the bleak but beautiful wilderness home of their ancestors. As I said, it doesn't really seem that Yesuge held Temujin in particularly high regard during this time, apparently favoring his elder sons, uh, Bekter and, to a lesser extent, Belgite. Once, when moving camp for a seasonal shift, because, you know, they're moving periodically, Little Temujin got the home alone treatment and his dad just straight up forgot his punk ass and just fucking left him like sitting there out on a stump, like fully forgot him as in like they never even turned around to fucking pick him up. Once they realized he was missing, they just kept it moving, which is fucked. Yeah. He wasn't even worth turning the car around for. He had no Joe dirt. He had no home alone. Kevin moment. It just didn't happen. Yeah. He's Joe dirt. Exactly. He's like, if Joe dirt, dirty Joe dirt, super awesome. Mm-hmm. Joe Durte. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Temujin was later found by the the sort of leading clan of the Onon River Valley, the Taichiud, <laughs> the Taichiud clan, um, and their leader, the Fat Khan Targutai. Hell That's yeah, what he was yeah. known as, the Fat Khan, who raised him with his own family for a little while, um, and later would go on to take a ton of credit and be like, "Yeah, man, I taught him everything he knew." Like, uh, yeah, this is after Genghis started to eating become world famous. He was like, "Yeah, man." Eating, uh... <laughs> Eating horses. <laughs> I took this little Borgigan bitch and I fucking raised them up yeah. good, you know, like a prize. He said I like a prize colt. Um, oh, but, oh. you know, we'll come to see. I'm, I'm not so sure. But I'm a little dubious on that. No, no, I kind of like Targetai, dude. Targetai is my guy. Yeah, the fat con. I mean, he yeah. sounds cool. He sounds jolly as hell. Yeah. So at some point, Temujin was returned to his family, either before or after his family joined the Taichiud camp. Um, but... Clearly, there was no, like, massive search party. And at some point, his family does join the Taichiud camp, and they're reunited in some order or another. So, yeah, the blood clot of destiny wasn't exactly uh, panning out for little Temujin just yet. He's having kind of a rough go of it. Not the world's best childhood. Things get a little more interesting when Yesuge decides it's time little Temujin was betrothed. 
And I say little because the kid was nine. Well, nine in Mongol years, eight in our years. So like a lot of other East Asian cultures, the Mongols count the time spent in the womb as the first year of a person's life. So things get a little hairy when you're going back through records and stuff. Um, you have to pay attention. Like if you hear somebody say, oh, he was nine, think eight. You know what I mean? Um, but whatever. He's just a little guy. That's the important thing. And Yesuge could probably tell that trouble was brewing already between his eldest son, Begter, and Temujin over who was going to be the big dog around camp. And yeah. since it was, at this point, literally Begter, he was much bigger and stronger, um, he probably figured that it would be good to get rid of Temujin again. Obviously, the uh, leaving him behind thing didn't really work, so time to figure out another solution. And uh, like I said, y Yesuge was super poor. Um, he didn't have a pot to piss in or, or, or a window to throw it out. Um, actually, he probably didn't need either of those things because they just live outside, so... You can yeah. just kind of piss wherever you want, but maybe they had a pot. I don't know, probably not. You know, probably not. Yeah, you're probably just pissing in the wind. <laughs> Directly into it, yeah, that's his vibe. Yeah, just spraying all over you. Fuck yeah, dude. But either way, like I said, he was super poor, um, and he didn't have much to like give away as a bride price to get his son a good wife, so if he wanted to find a good match for Temujin and make a strong alliance, which is sort of what it's all about i mean they're not totally all about alliance based marriages the same way the europeans are at this time but um that is important right like joining two clans together for strategic purposes is important you obviously want to make a good match um unless you're going to just straight up kidnap a wife which is also i guess an option but yeah um <clears throat> so he would have to indenture the kid to a family um likely for a period of years so this would allow both boys' room to kind of grow and not, I don't know, fucking kill each other. Like, wouldn't that be insane if that were to happen? Mm-hmm. You know? If one of them were to kill the other one? Yeah, it won't happen, though, so that's good. Yeah. You know, that would be nuts. Yeah. Um, well, Holin seems, to, <laughs> Holin seems to have wanted Temujin to marry back into her clan. So she asks Yesuge, like, okay, can you please go find my people and uh and and find a good wife from among them at least since you kidnapped me can i at least like have this connection back to my own clan and he's like yeah 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 i'll for sure i'll take him all the way there and we'll find him and they live kind of far away but that's not a problem like we'll go we'll go all the way there and we'll find them and uh so on the way he ends up linking up with his family and uh he's nowhere near all the way to holun's family but he, he meets this other family and they meet him and, hey, what do you know? Like, they have a daughter and she's a little bit older than Temujin, which is how they normally do marriages in, in Mongol culture. The lady's usually a little bit older. And uh, and what do you know? They, the kids kind of like each other. She's like, you know what? This is fine. Like, she has no way of checking if I went all the way there. Do you want to have our kids get married? <laughs> and, you know, so the other dad is like, yeah, sounds good. And, um, you know, it's cool. So she's a little bit older, and that's actually, like I said, the, the norm among the Mongols. And part of the reasoning for that um, is that it actually leads to a healthy blossoming of the sexual relationship, where there mm -hmm. is an even power dynamic. And the girl can uh, gradually induct the boy into a sexual relationship in a way that suits both of them. Which yeah. I think is kind of progressive for the 12th century to even think about things like that. But again, also... Uh, Temujin's dad like just kidnapped his mom and like raped her. So yeah, that was true. Yeah, you know what I mean. That shit so, did go down. That definitely did happen. Yeah, that so, shit happened. You gotta you gotta kind of you know look with the lens of history. Um. So anyway, he basically says, "All right, you're gonna get married. Uh, you gotta stay here and work for them now, and uh, I'm gonna go. See you later." So Tem uh, Yesuge Yesuge leaves and uh, gives his son a firm handshake and uh, takes off. Yep. So Temujin was left behind, and Yesuge starts the long journey home. 
and you know whatever he didn't have to go that far and uh he found something that worked and he's like all right cool you know wipe my hands of this get this fucking yep. kid out of the house Good. got rid of that weird little <coughs> kid that was always looking at me <laughs> so as the story goes on his way home he came across a group of tartars mm-hmm. who were having a big fucking party and yesuge yep. like any good mongol man like to get fucked up on horse milk and have a good time so mm-hmm. he wants to join um, and they invite him in, but he has to really make sure that they don't find out that he's that Yesuge, the guy who had years prior killed their kinsman, Temujin Uge. And so he had to be sneaky. He had to get in here and make sure nobody knew who he was so he didn't have anybody try to commit vengeance against him. But, but Holmes was trying to get fucking drunk. Yeah, but he so. wanted to party. It's been yeah. a little while, you know. They have some fine-looking uh, fine looking Tatar ladies there, and he's just thinking some to himself, fine like, all right, mamas, yeah. all right, cool, man. Maybe this trip wasn't such a bust after all. You know, we found a party. Kid, about to get my, my drink on. About to get my drink get on, my, my smoke on. on, my fuck on. Yeah, have dude. a good-ass time, fucking no kids. <laughs> Damn, man. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, shit's looking up, brother. <laughs> Everything's coming up, yes, you gay. Yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, it does seem like someone recognized him, and they secretly poisoned him. Uh, so once he realizes that Damn. he's been poisoned, he, he he takes off, and he manages to make it home, um, and he sends somebody to retrieve Temujin because he knows he's dying and his son needs to be at his deathbed. Temujin, Temujin unfortunately... Temujin's just like... I just fucking got here. <laughs> I just got here, bro. Yeah. And I'm gonna bang this girl. And, like, and like my dad, like... He wanted to get some he pussy, and now he wound up like fucking poison. He doesn't even like me. <laughs> like, bro, he ditched me twice. Like, and as soon as he could. As soon as he could. And now that he's he dying, could. I have to go fucking say goodbye to old asshole? <laughs> God damn. Dude didn't even give me a hug, man. <laughs> he didn't even leave me with nothing. Um... So at this point, as I said, the Borjigan clan had sort of been semi-absorbed into the Taichiud clan of the Fat Khan. Um, so they're staying with them. And he's going to go on, like I said, to sort of say how much he loved little Temujin and all that. Very buddy-buddy. Um, but now that Yesuge is dead, so Temujin makes it home just in time to see that his father's dead. He doesn't get to even see him die. And now that Yesuge is not there to help hunt and raid and whatever, provide, um, the Taichiuds are like, well fuck feeding two widows and seven kids why this guy have so many fucking kids and wives yeah and well technically one of yesuge's brothers or even uh his other sons from his other wife could have or should have married holun and taken in her kids um the former group yesuge's brothers they didn't want to support that many kids i mean and to be fair it's a lot of kids and the latter two, uh, Begter and Belgute, are too young. They're like still like in their late tweens, early teens. And so, also, she's a captive, which means that there isn't any like good bond or or alliance to inherit with her family or clan. Because if anything, they're probably pretty pissed about the fact that their like awesome daughter got fucking kidnapped and you know whatever. Yeah. So really, she's kind of valueless as a wife, which sucks to say, but that's how it was seen. So eventually, she and Sochigel were cut off from food by the Taichiud. Basically, the women stopped inviting them to banquets, and that's how you know like you're out. You're not getting invited to food. You're not considered part of the family anymore. And uh, so things are about to get kind of sticky. So there are a couple stories about this moment in the secret history. Um, so as the the main Taichi had camp, like, gathered up their stuff and was sort of leaving, think of them, like, leaving, you know, poor Temujin and, and Suchigel and Holun and all the kids in the dust. Uh, there's this little old man who steps forward and says, you know what? Like, this isn't right. 
we're just condemning them to starve out here. Like, we can't just leave them. And one of the younger men, one of the warriors of the Taichu, looks back and is like, man, shut up. And just spears him to death right in front of everybody and then just keeps riding. Mm. And Temujin sees this and he's like, what the fuck? Like, and so he runs up and he tries to, keep in mind, he's like nine. And he runs up and he tries to like help this guy and the guy just like sitting there dying and he dies in his arms and Temujin is just left there like fucking crying and angry and confused and he has no idea what the fuck is going on and the one guy who just tried to be nice to him is dead. And so Holun sees all this and she has this like gangster moment. She makes kind of a stunning move. So she reaches down uh, into their stuff and she grabs Yesuge's sulde and she rides off and starts circling around the band holding it. Now a sulde is a is a pole basically that's topped just look it up s-u-l-d-e it's cool as shit it's topped with a sort of ornamental circular banner of draped horsehair and it's owned by a mongol warrior and it's displayed outside of his gur and mm. it's always out there and it's of massive importance so it's constantly hanging under the eternal blue sky which as we discussed in part one is a big deal to the mongols it's their god mm. it's tengri or tengur um and it's constantly just absorbing the powers of the wind and the sky and nature, but also becoming more and more entwined with the spirit of the man that owns it. Uh, eventually, it becomes so entwined with his soul that when he dies, they say that his soul is fully transferred into the sulde, and the body itself is just an empty vessel to be buried in peace. And so the soul is contained within this horsehair banner. So this act, uh, her grabbing the sulde, this horsehair banner, and and racing up and catching up to them and yelling at them, it's tantamount to her literally grabbing her dead husband's soul and parading it in front of the Taichi to shame them. Like, see, like, he was one of you and, you and you're just leaving us here. And so apparently they were so ashamed of the sight that they did briefly stop and they returned to camp. And then they waited for everybody to fall asleep and then they just snuck off again and left the families. And they were just like, yeah, but we really are bitch. Man. We really are. We really are going to go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we're bitch made. So, so fuck you guys. Yeah, but that was a cool show. Yeah. Did there.
And so at this point, the family, they really should have died. Um, but they didn't. Um, largely due to the intelligence and bravery and resolve of Holun. Um, now, I'm sure in real life, Sochigel, the other wife, was doing some cool shit too. But obviously, the Mongol histories are not written from the perspective of her stupid kids. They are about Genghis Khan. So yeah. <laughs> it's all about his mom. And he, he loved his mom. Fuck you, Sochigel. Fuck you, Bekter. Fuck you, Bergtai. A little bit. Holun is my best friend now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so largely due to her personal resolve, uh, they they go through this whole thing where she like lifts up her dress and just starts running frantically back and down, back and, and forth along the Onan River, like collecting nuts and berries. And just she's like, that's I'm going to keep my kids alive. I'm going to keep my kids alive. And it's awesome. And so indeed, the next few years are a struggle for sure. So Begter and Belgute, who are the oldest, took to hunting and fishing. Joined shortly by Temujin and his older brother, I'm sorry, his oldest brother. He's the oldest, but the next oldest is Kassar. And as the years passed, the family was able to survive. Uh, they may have had to make their clothes out of mice skin uh, damn, and eat that, whatever damn, gross that's shit gonna they be could. A, that's got to be a lot of mice. I know. Well, that's why they, I think that's kind of uh, yeah. anecdotal, but they described them making their clothes out Man, of that'd mice. Man, that would be so many, that would be a fucking mice holocaust. You just have one little mouse to cover dude. your dick and like one little mouse to cover your butthole and like yeah. one on each nipple. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. Maybe one mouse on each ear when it's if cold. If you're gonna make like a, a like a mouse fucking like cloak, <clears throat> man, that's gonna be a goddamn holocaust of mice. A mouse merkin, dude. <laughs> yeah, um, you have a loincloth, and it's just like like a mouse. It's like a mouse mouse gun. fur, but it's like it's just like stretched out. So like the like the 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 strings are like attached to each little hand and each little foot and so it's just like a splayed out mouse just yeah. covering your dick and balls. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> All right, I'm trying to truck through cuz I yeah, so yeah, I got to go get some booty. Starving. Um so during this period, two more formative events occur for little Temujin that are going to kind of close out today's narrative. Um he meets his his blood brother and his closest friend and he kills his first man. So the friend is a boy uh, of around his age named Jamuka, which is a fucking awesome name, yeah. uh, whose family started camping sort of near Temujin's on the Onon River. And the boys become fast friends. They would play, they would hunt, they would explore together, they would practice horseback riding, archery, hunting, wrestling, everything they could possibly think to do. And it's going to be one of the closest relationships that Temujin ever has in his life. And twice during their childhood, they swore oaths of brotherhood to one another. Uh, Jamuka was a member of the Jadaran clan, and so they were distantly related by uh, ancestry to Temujin's clan, but they wanted to be closer than that. Um, so at around the age of 11, Temujin and Jamuka swear brotherhood for the first time, and they exchange toys. They just like give each other little baubles. But the next year, they decide to actually do the thing the real way, the adult way, and mm-hmm. they swear an oath of true brotherhood. So they give each other arrowheads, which is what you do. Um, Jamuka made a whistling bone arrowhead, which are these like little pieces of bone with holes drilled in them. And you put them into the end of an arrow. And when you fire them, they make specific sounds. And Mongols would use them to communicate over long distances or on hunting trips or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and Temujin carved a piece of cypress wood uh, into a beautiful ha- arrowhead and gave that to Jamuka. Um, and then they would each swallow a small amount of each other's blood. And spoke the unforgettable words. Um, they refer to this as eating the food that cannot be digested. The Mongols don't like talking about blood. They don't like talking about death. Um, it's considered sacrilegious, as I've mentioned, to let blood soak into the earth because the earth is sacred and blood is a pollutant. So they have all kinds of weird like prohibitions around talking about death, describing death. Um, 
so they they call it that. They ate the food that cannot be digested, blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this bo- this oath, the boys are now considered undas, which is a bond closer than bi- biological brotherhood because you yep. choose it and you don't get to choose your brother. Uh, Jamuka will be the only Anda that Temujin ever has. Uh, he would prove to be both an ally and an adversary before the story is done. Uh, but shortly after their Anda ceremony, his boys left. Um, sorry, his family left, and Temujin would not see him again for several years. So he's out of our narrative for today, but he's coming yep. back. Jamuka will be back. Simultaneous to this friendship, a rivalry with Begter, which had always sort of existed, is now sort of really blossoming into like full, full-blown hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, so as was his right, Begter had begun to dominate the family slowly following the death of Yesuge. Technically, he was legally allowed to command both his siblings and their mothers in their every task, and um, was, for all intents and purposes, their master, despite his closeness and age to Temujin. However, Temujin began to chafe under Begter's leadership. It started small with Begter, like, you know, Temujin would shoot a bird and Begter would be like, that's my bird. I shot that bird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Little things like yeah. that, like just like establishing dominance. But he really kind of pushes it further than he needs to. Like, that's sort of one of the things that, uh, that Weatherford says in the book. He's like, it would have been normal for him to establish that dominance, but it was considered kind of beyond the pale for him to really rub Temujin's nose in it the way that he seems to do. And <clears throat> finally, there's this event where the four oldest brothers which is Begter, uh, Belgute, um, Temujin, and Kasar, they're sitting around fishing in the river. And Temujin catches a fish, and Begter, you know, uh, on par, says, that's mine, I caught that, that's one of mine. And he takes the fish, and Temujin's like, fuck this, I'm gonna go tell my mom on you. So he runs back, and he tells Holun, and he's expecting her to intercede on his behalf, and instead, she's like, well, he's your older brother, and so he's right, and he's in charge, and you really shouldn't fight with him, you're starting trouble. And they have this whole big knockdown dragout fight, and it starts. It comes up that like, not only does Begter have the right to tell everyone what to do, but also he he technically has sexual rights to all of his father's widows, except for his own mother. Um, they don't get into incest in a big way; that was taboo. But he could totally fuck Holun if he wants to. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously been some sort of tension around that. And Temujin is just like, you know what? I fucking hate this guy. I hate him so much. <laughs> And now he's gonna fuck my mom, yeah. and I'm sorry, but like, I th- that's it, that's it. Yeah, I'm not. I, I've taken all I can take, and I can't take no more. And so he's like, you know what? I'm out of here. And he goes and he gets his brother Kasar, and they go off looking for Begter, but they are not looking to have a conversation or to sort things out or to even have a fist fight. Uh, they bring their bows and they are setting off to fucking kill him, and they track him to the middle of the woods. And they find him sitting in a glade, like, I don't know, just futzing around, doing something. Mm-hmm. And so they knock arrows, and they come out with bows drawn, pointed right at him. And Begter sees them, and unwilling to show any weakness in front of his little brothers, he's probably shitting bricks, but he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, put those down, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, yeah. put those down, and I'm going to beat the shit out of both of you. Yeah. And then I think he catches a glimpse of Temujin's eye, and Temujin's like, no, nah, man, I'm going to kill you right now. <laughs> you're like yeah this is and he's idea. and he's like and and so they have this moment where they both sort of realize like this is it this is like the real deal and so Begter's like all right well just don't kill belgute who is his full brother and temujin's like no like i'm straight with belgute i'm not really here to worry yeah, about this that. is about you Begter. it's you and me brother like <laughs> and i'm gonna kill you and so they're circling him around him uh 
Kassad is in front, and Temujin circles around back, and then they both shoot him, and Temujin shoots him right in the back and fucking kills him. And they leave him there. They let him bleed all into the earth, which is majorly taboo. He's also their brother, which is major taboo. You don't kill members of your own fucking family. The Mongols are big on kinship. You just don't do that. And then they just leave him there, and they don't even try to, like, pick him up or do anything. They just let him bleed into the earth and bleed out and die. And this is one of the main exceptions in the secret histories where they actually describe blood directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of why I mentioned before how taboo it was. They don't even like to talk about it. But this is considered so, like, fucked up and formative and such a big part of, of Chinggis's history that they straight up just say, like, in detail, like, they shot their brother to death and left him to bleed into the earth and, like, die. So they get back and Holun immediately knows what's happened. She can see them with the blood on them and the bows and whatever. And she's just like, you fucking, you fucking monsters. You did this. I cannot (laughs) believe it. And she goes on like the longest personal monologue in the entire thing. And she's like, you're destroyers. You've brought ruin on yourselves. You brought ruin on me, on our family. She describes Kassar as a dog trying to eat its own afterbirth, like all kinds of crazy shit. And... She's like, that's it. You're like, you're no sons of mine. You're criminals. Uh, You've brought ruin upon this entire family. By rights, anybody has right to fucking murder us now, whatever. And And someone's just just like, well, may as well bring ruin on the rest of the world, too, then. Yeah, dude. (laughs) He's like, he was a bully, and uh, I don't like bullies. You don't even know that nobody even likes bullies like you. That's motherfucker. Yeah, so this whole situation is just like totally, utterly taboo. And yeah. um, they're fucked. They're, 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 they're criminals. They're outlaws. They've done the bad thing. The one yep. thing that you're really not supposed to do. And they went ahead and did it. And now this family's about to... They lost Begter, who's the oldest. And now they're about to lose Temujin and probably Kassar. And now who's going to fucking feed the young kids and do all the hunting yep. and whatever. And they've made it this far. And now Temujin just had to go and shoot his own brother in the back. Yep. And so eventually word gets out. It reaches the, uh, the Taichiud clan who, as I said, are sort of the ruling clan of this area. And they send out a a group of hunters, and they collect young Temujin, and they bring him back to their camp to face judgment. And this is the start of the next major chapter in Temujin's life, because when he is in the Taichiud camp, and after killing his brother, you can really say that he's sort of left his childhood behind. Um, And he's only like 14 years old. And from here on out, uh, things are going to start getting manlier and crazier for 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 young temujin and so that is where we're going to leave him for this installment and we will be back in a couple weeks probably with part three where we will talk more about uh what happens to to young adult temujin and how he becomes a con and all of that fun stuff which should prove very exciting Mm -hmm. so yeah that's it Anything else that you would like to add uh, to the discourse? Nope, that fucked. <laughs> it's a cool ass <laughs> story, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I it is very gonna, cool. I was gonna do this episode was gonna end with him. Like, I was gonna go through all the Taichi Hood stuff, but I was like, nah, this whole story fucking rules. I'm just gonna no. tell all this shit. It's just so cool. Like, nope. he had such an interesting like personal saga. And uh, whenever people talk about history being boring or whatever, this is one of the first things I, can I think suck of. suck my fucking dick. Yeah, right? Like, Kingis <laughs> Khan had, like, just the most interesting life of all time. Yeah. No, you're just a boring person. That's the problem there, you fucking twit. Right. <laughs> you midwit, dude. So, um, 
as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, you guys like the playlist thing. Go check those out. Yeah. Um, word of mouth is our jam. We we really thrive on that. And yeah. um, go on to Spotify. If you use Spotify and you're going on to do those playlists, you can also leave feedback on episodes. I'd love to see what you guys think of some yeah. of this stuff because we can post those. Um, and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll we'll definitely keep abreast of the whole uh, <laughs> Donald J. Trump situation. Yeah, and the we'll, DJT. We'll have yep. some more uh, some more thoughts on oh, that. Oh, I did want to sure. say, so I hate all AIR except for all of the AIR about Donald Trump and his arrest is like, like the lowest is like a 9 out of 10. It's all beautiful. I love it, so... That's great. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I personally don't dislike AIR, but like, yeah. I get it. Um, yeah. I, I do and don't like. I think a lot of it's hilarious and really goofy and really yeah. fun. Um, but also, yeah, like, that, yeah, it probably does signal like the end dude, of human creativity. Donald Trump meeting with a bunch of aliens. It's amazing. <laughs> um, with that, yeah. we will right, cool. uh, yeah. we will come back next week and we can talk about whether the aliens did land and meet with uh, the yeah. great fearless leader, Mr. President. Sir, it's time we make our presence known. <laughs> <laughs> Well, have a great week, and we will see you. These aliens are from Charleston, South Carolina. (laughs) Mr. President, sir. Mr. President. I declare I have caught a case of the vapors. Oof, Mr. President, it is time. It's like, um, remember, what was fucking, um, what was the name? Uh, I'm already forgetting all the names from King of the Hill, but, uh, um, not Hank, not, uh, not Boomhauer. Who's the, what's the fat dude? Oh, Bill Dottrieve? Yeah, He's and his, so his, his cousin, yeah. Jobert. Oh, <laughs> you kind of snuck up on me there. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I've always been a creeper. Violetta says I creep like the kudzu vines that are slowly but surely strangling our Dixie. Do you remember yeah. when they... <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll see you Oh, my time. God, anyway. All right, well, we will uh, We will see you guys next week. Next time. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I try to do things and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to and I get real frustrated and like I try hard to do it and I like take my time but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to It's like I concentrate on real hard but it just doesn't work out and everything I do and everything I try it never turns out It's like I need time to figure these things out There's always someone there going Hey Mike, you know, we've been noticing you've been having a lot of problems lately, you know get away and like maybe you should talk about it you'll feel a lot better i go no it's okay you know i'll figure it out just leave me alone i'll figure it out you know i'm just working on myself they go well you know if you want to talk about it i'll be here you know and you'll probably feel a lot better if you talk about it so why don't you talk about it i go no i don't want to i'm okay i'll figure it out myself and they just keep bugging me they just keep bugging me there's pills on the side it's got me I'm sorry, I'm okay, I'm just...
you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, no, you're not thinking. You're on drugs. Normal people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. Just a Pepsi. He was doing with my knees. Got me back to see a thief. Just got me. Just play me. It's a good day. I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. in my room. My mom and my dad came in. They pulled up the chair and they sat down. They go, Mike, we need to talk to you. I go, okay, what's the matter? They go, me and your mom, we've noticed lately you've been having a lot of problems. And you've been going out for no reason. And we're afraid you're going to hurt somebody. And we're afraid you're going to hurt yourself. So we decided that it would be in your best interest if we put you somewhere where you can get the help that you need. And I go, wait, what are you talking about? We decided... My best interest? How do you know what my best interest is? How can you say what my best interest is? What are you trying to say? I'm crazy. When I went to your school, I went to your churches, I went to your 